in, in 2020, they, um, I was walking into a, a meeting of lead elders and pastors all around the world, February 2020. It was, it was just before COVID. At that point, we just heard that something was happening in China. And it might, might have happened that it would come here, but we weren't sure. And when we had that meeting, nobody knew what was going to happen in March of 2020. But I walked into that meeting and, and at first what happened is I didn't like the stuff that I saw. You know, the church that I grew up in, there was order. And it seemed to me in this church there's no order. People are walking around with short pants and blockies. Just like he's got beautiful pluckies. They're chatting. And the leader said, guys, take your seats, take your seat. And nobody wants to go and sit. I was like, what is happening here? And then he started preaching and I didn't like what he was preaching. And the guys started singing and they were jumping up and down in the front. I thought to myself, I like jumping up and down, but this is just too far. So I started making notes of things I didn't like. It's too much of this and too little of that. When this guy preached, he started preaching stuff that I didn't agree with. And then eventually, I went home that night and I complained. Don't you find that's interesting? When you go to a place of where people get together to worship God, as humans, we tend to get stuff we don't like. And then we go home and we complain. We generally don't complain to the person that irritates you. We generally complain to the person that's next to you in bed. Or So I phoned my wife because she wasn't with me. So I phoned and I said, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like that. And then she said to me, thank the Lord for my wife. She said, go back. Just give it another shot. And I went back the next day. And the guy went and stood in the front, the same guy that spoke the yest yesterday, same things happened. Guys with short pants and blockies came there. They were loud, obnoxious, in my opinion. And he struggled to get them to sit to settle down again, but then he started preaching. And before he started preaching, he said, I said a few things yesterday that m might have been taken up the wrong way. And I went through my list. I looked at this list, and he started mentioning everything that I had a complaint about. And he rectified it, in a sense. He apologized for the things that came through wrong. He didn't apologize for the pluckies or the short pants because that's not important. But he did, uh, he did apologize for certain things that he said. And what happened then in that moment when I realized, oh, hang on, something is happening here. Something is, God is trying to push me into his presence. I need to push past the things I don't like. I started hearing his voice. And by the end of that week, and sometimes it takes a time, you know, most of you guys are sitting here thinking, well, not maybe most of you, but some of you might be thinking, I need to get back somewhere. I hope it's not going to take too long. It took about four days for me to get to a place where Jesus had me. 
on a Friday morning, I walked into the building because my wife said on the Monday, go back. So I just went back every day. And let me tell you, it was one of the most difficult weeks. I had so much things happening in Montague that week that I had, I had excuses to get back into Montague. But somehow the Lord said, go back, go back. On that Friday morning, they started worshiping and I couldn't deal with it. I wasn't standing in front, jumping up and down. I was prancing at the back, waiting for an opportunity where nobody sees me so that I can slip out. Because at that point, God was standing in front of me. And he said, you've got a choice. Either you surrender and lead the church of the Lord in a way that I want you to lead, or you go back to the way that you want to lead. He asked me to die. And I'll never remember, forget that day that he asked me to die. I thought I was dead already. I thought, Lord, but I'm, I'm actually living for you. You know, I'm a pastor, you know. I, I read the word, I do everything. But yet, here I was, 2020, 20 years into ministry, or 2018, no, 2020, 18 years into ministry. And God was asking me to die. I was standing at the back, and I remember I was, I was terrible. It felt like literal death. It felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I don't know what was going on. I took a chair and I went on my knees at the back of the hall. And I said, Lord, I'm willing to surrender my life. You see, we come into moments like these where we gather together as a church and we see people jumping up and down. We don't understand. We don't know why. And you might think, well, I, I wish I could jump up and down like that, but I'm not going to do it. It's not who I am. Well, that's what I thought in 2020. Every one of us sitting here, God's constantly asking us, asking us, are you willing to die? Are you willing to die? Are you willing to really follow the way that I've called you? With that in mind, Ephesians, like we did, but we're not going there. We're going to read about the church of Ephesians because somehow I feel like this church has got something to do with us. If you've been walking with me, you probably know this. If you've been walking with us as a leadership, you know this. So Acts 19. We start at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I can stop here, actually, and ask you the question. Who would say that they're disciples of the Lord? Raise your hand. Are you a disciple of the Lord? This is not the time to be scary or I'm not sure. If you are sure, lift it up, man. I'm a disciple. Next question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Good. Let's see how that looked. 
said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. At least they were honest. We have never heard, even heard of there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? Because you cannot be a disciple unless you've been baptized. So let me ask that question again. Who's disciples? If you haven't been baptized, you can't lift your hand. See, that's, that's the first thing we need to establish. If you're a disciple, and what have you been baptized then? If you haven't received the Holy Spirit. It's very much foundational very quickly, right? It's not like, are you on it? Like a minute rugby. Oh, you haven't got your piece at work. No, it's like, do you believe in Jesus? Man, I believe in Jesus. Wow. How awesome is the Holy Spirit? Like, and then you see, oh, oh it's awesome. And you see the confused look. You don't know the Holy Spirit? No. What have you been baptized in? And then they've got an answer because they have been baptized. That's why they believe they are disciples. You see how important these discussions are. He says, we're baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. This might not be theologically correct, but and Gary can speak to me afterwards about this. But I've got a thinking that as South Africans, we have been baptized into the baptism of repentance. But we're not baptized in the baptism of Jesus, who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when we're looking at the church, we're seeing a church that's weak, impotent, no power, full of programs, full of fun for the family, but no power. Because we've been baptized into a gospel that, or religion that says we need Jesus because he's going to save us from our sins. But we don't need to walk like Jesus in the power of his spirit. And that's what's missing. It's immediately what Paul saw here. And he said, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Spirit came upon them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. Interesting, right? So I'm going to ask you again. Who here has prophesied? Are we believing that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit? Were we actually baptized with the baptism of John? That tells us of somebody that will come one day. And we've never experienced the fire and the intimacy and the beauty of Jesus because he said... I will baptize you. I will send the helper that you will be baptized in power. And when he spoke to his disciples, 
He said to him, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. The church should be a prophesying church. The members of God's church should be prophesying members. So I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying maybe we are not surrendered completely like we think we are. Maybe we haven't died because baptism speaks of death. You see, something that happened with Paul was he lived one way for a very long time in his life. And then one day, he met God. And nothing that he did previously made sense anymore, had any power on him anymore. He wanted to live otherwise. We get saved, not necessarily meeting Jesus, but being converted. And we still want to continue with our lives and hope God will bless us. I actually submit to you, it might be that we're not saved at all if we continue with our lives without being changed from the inside. This was crucial for Paul. It was crucial for the church of Ephesus because we want to know how do we breach the gospel to a world that's lost. You don't have to go to Cape Town or Swellendam to see that the world is lost. And we knew this week that what happened in Swellendam was the work of the enemy, right? But you can just walk down the street of Butt Street and go into every shop start a discussion with anybody to see that they do not know Jesus. And we've got a responsibility because Paul thought he had a responsibility and he went to 12 people, saw them because they said they believe. So I'm coming to you today. Do you believe? And he said, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm asking you if you've been baptized. Here's the interesting thing that happened. Let's continue. And he entered the synagogue because this is where they got together. You know, if you knew any, know anything about Jewish culture, you go into the synagogues and they met on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Some people are laughing because they know that's not true, right? When did they meet? They met every day in a synagogue. So Paul started preaching for how long? On Saturdays, yes, sure, they met longer, sometimes between three and four hours on a Saturday in a synagogue. For three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, he was proclaiming a way, a different way of living, kingdom living. But some people in the synagogue who are religious people they didn't like it. And they started speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. What disciples? The 12 and whoever was then listening and willing to follow. Does this sound familiar to some of the people that might have been walking with us? 
I meet people in town and they say, good luck with your new venture. God's business is not a worldly business. I'm not busy with a venture. The eldership of this church is not busy with a venture. We are busy proclaiming the gospel of God. And if you want to follow, follow. If you don't. But it's interesting what happened is they preached in the synagogue for three months. They didn't want to listen. They started speaking evil of the way that they were proclaiming. The way that actually costs a lot. The way that actually causes you to surrender your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because he has given you everything. And they actually stepped, stepped away from that. Sometimes we need to understand it's okay for pastors to leave. Sometimes pastors leave a congregation because they want a better salary. That's not an okay reason to leave. Sometimes pastors leave a, leave a congregation because they want a better future for their family. That's not a good reason to leave. But there is an okay reason to leave a place. And that is when people don't want to listen to the word of God. And this is what Paul did. He preached the word of God. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached Jesus Christ as crucified. And the people started saying, we don't want this. We don't want this. We don't want this. And he left. And he took those who wanted to follow Jesus with him. And where did they go? Interestingly enough, he said, we drew with them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus which is a school, so by the way. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and as, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away, away to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke this, the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the, by, the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Skepha were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, can you imagine evil spirits answering you? Well, they had that experience and, um, and they didn't like it very much because the evil spirits answered them and says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, a bit of a brawl. He leaped on them, mastered all of them, seven guys, one guy jumping on seven oaks, and he pummeled them. The Bible said he mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they all fled out of that house naked and wounded. He didn't just beat them, he humiliated them. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon, upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and it found to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
Paul spent two years in Ephesus. That was a church that he spent in the most time in, out of all of the churches that he visited. Ephesus is an interesting town, Ephesus. But Paul had a great effect on Ephesus because his life belonged to Jesus. And he had disciples that also belonged to Jesus and followed Jesus. And we want to ask the question, how do we have an impact on this world that we are living in today? And I want to encourage you this morning that God wants to use you mightily. But in order for him to use you, you need to be surrendered. In order for him to use you, you cannot live box lives. My Monday belongs to my wife. My Tuesday belongs to my boss. My Wednesday belongs to the golf club. My Thursday belongs to the tennis club. And my Friday, maybe I've got time for a date night. And hopefully I've got time on Sunday for church life. The enemy is playing with us. If that's how your life is looking. How did Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus for two years? And the testimony was... This, these last words, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In actual fact, from Ephesus, the word of the Lord spread all throughout Asia. Twelve men started off being filled with the Holy Spirit because truth came to their lives. They started believing the truth instead of walking on the lie that they've been walking on previously. They started preaching the gospel. And through their lives, a whole area, a whole continent was affected. Man, how do we change our towns? There's one simple answer, and I see this in this portion of scripture. Preaching the word of the Lord, because that's what Paul did. He didn't do anything else. I do suspect that he had some bright flesh on some nights with friends and family because he had to eat. But here's the interesting thing. Ephesus wasn't necessarily open for the gospel and neither is Montague. The true gospel, the way. If you preach the true way of Jesus Christ in this town, you will definitely find some opposition. That's what Paul, Paul experienced in, in Ephesus. He actually said that in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. He says, for a wide door for effective work is open to me in Ephesus, and there are many adversaries. You see, the gospel of the Lord grows in an environment where there is adversity, where there's pushback. You see, the gospel of the Lord wants to knock into your heart where there's adversity in your own heart. The areas where you are calloused, where you are hard, God's knocking there because, and he works in that environment. He's not going to work in the areas where you've already surrendered. He's going to start working in the areas where you haven't. And the same when it comes to a town. When you start preaching the gospel of living your whole life for God, everything for God, my business for God, guess what? You're going to have adversity, and that's what Paul said. Now, our, our ground text for the last few Sundays were 2, 2 Timothy 4, that says, preach the word of the Lord 
in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and teaching. In season and out of season is exactly what Paul experienced in Ephesus. When it was comfortable to preach the word, when it wasn't comfortable to preach the word, he preached the word. When did he preach it? Well, he preached it every day in the synagogue for three months. And when he couldn't preach there anymore, when he left that, he went to a school hall. And let me just give you some background because what we're thinking about a school hall is, well, like we have to get a venue, so now we're going to preach the gospel maybe on a Sunday. No, that's not what he did. You see, the Greeks are interesting people. I know because I'm half of them. I'm a half a Greek. And when you go to the Mediterranean, you will find that at 11 o'clock, everything stops. And then they go on a siesta. Don't you just think that's an amazing idea? Huh? 11 o'clock, all your meetings stop, go home, just like, and then 4 o'clock, you open up your shop. So if you had a cafeño in the Greek islands, you, you work from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and then you go and lie on the beach, and then you come back at 4 o'clock. Greek manuscripts actually explain to us, other Greek manuscripts explain to us that Paul took the opportunity of the Greeks when they didn't have school, when it was hot and everybody was bothered to start a class in the school of Tyrannus between 11 and 4. That's the time that a lamb boat with an wind is. Every day he was preaching the gospel. Now, in that moment, yeah, right now, Claude Swanapul needs to repent. He wrote in other places that the love of God compels him. What are we willing to do to snatch the souls of people who are on their way to hell out of the fire? What are we willing to do? Are you willing to give up your lunch hour and start a Bible study group? You see, that's where my mom was saved. She was Greek Orthodox. She thought she knew the Lord, but she didn't. A lot of people in our family, friends, in our colleagues, they think they know the Lord, but they don't. But there was one lady that kept on inviting her to a lunch hour Bible study group every day. And she said no. And then she invited her again, and then she said no. And then she invited her again, and then she said no. And then eventually he said, Sula, this is my mother's name, won't you come? Because we're not preaching today, we're going to actually show a movie. And my mom said, cool. So they went to the lunch hour, watched the first half of the movie. Because couldn't watch the full movie. Come back the next day for the second part of the movie. Went back the second day, the projector broke. <laughs> because the projector broke, she was there, she didn't know it. 
She was sitting there. She was, she was a captive audience, pretty much like you are right now. And the pastor had to do something, and he started preaching the gospel. Now, we started, when he started preaching the gospel, she had the same experience that I had in 2020. Again, she had a time where he said, I want your life. Sulas Wanapu, I want your life. She couldn't deal with it. She rushed out of that room, ran into a cubicle, toilet cubicle, and gave her heart to the Lord next to a white toilet seat. And I'm standing here today. What are you willing to do to preach the gospel? Because Paul was willing to give up five hours of his day. That's, I mean, he was still a tent maker, right? Am I right? Preach the gospel in and out of season. When it's opportune or not opportune, preach the gospel. How do we bring the gospel of the Lord to a town that's got a religious mindset? We preach the gospel in and out of season. That's what Paul did. What did he proclaim when he preached the gospel? He preached the kingdom of God. That's what we heard. He was preaching the kingdom of God. When you have the opportunity to deal with somebody as a Christian, what is it that you preach? Do you preach Jesus? Do you preach emotions? What do you preach? Well, Paul preached the gospel. He preached the word. You know, I've been doing ministry for a very long time and as you grow in ministry you start to find tricks and tricks of the trade but they seem not to be effective you can see a, a problem walking through the door you can see this is the problem this is the problem then you want to tell them what the problem is but the most effective times that i had in dealing with people, and because we all have issues, right? We all have need help, right? Was when I opened up the Word and I started reading the Word. When I started preaching the Gospel, when I stopped preaching Claude, when I stopped preaching what I've accomplished and who I am as a pastor, I started preaching Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and I lifted Him up. That's when people's life change. You see, I'm not called to draw people unto me or unto my church or unto Josh Jen. I'm called to bring people into the life of Jesus. Because it's the life of Jesus that changed me. And we're living in a world that's des desperately want to find relief from external things like political relief, financial relief, future independence and future peace and prosperity. And that was exactly the same in Ephesus. It was one of the most bustling towns in, in, in Greece. It was, it was a place where people came together. It w there was a lot of business opportunity. There was a lot of entertainment happening in that town. There was a lot of criminals as well. Interesting fact, just so that you know, it's on a side note, but the, 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 um, what's that place of Diana, the, the temple of Diana? That was in Ephesus. Hmm? And they actually, what they did was they would give asylum to criminals in that temple. 
so they cannot be prosecuted by, by the governing bodies. Does it sound familiar? We live in a country where, where we know that certain people that should be going to jail, is not, they're not going to jail. They, they're being covered by a temple that's a darkened temple. They've been given asylum. In the midst of that, Paul never preached into that. He never got involved in discussions about politic, politics and what happened here and what happened there. He preached the gospel. You see, that ha- well, that's what happens with somebody that's been filled with God's spirit. They realize that these things are futile. I want to warn you and encourage you at the same time. If you keep yourself busy with the things of this world, it will actually eat you up. So he preached the gospel. His message was Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is king, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ will return for us one day. And what was the response? Well, the religious people didn't like him. The response was, even though he preached the gospel and God used him mightily, some people wanted to counterfeit it. They wanted to line their own pockets. But he continued to preach the gospel to those who are willing to follow. It started in a synagogue, it moved to a school, but the preaching of the word of God impacted all of Asia. And that brings it back to something he wrote to the Church of Romans. And I want to encourage us with this as we are dealing in Josh Jen very inwardly concerning evangelism. Why am I saying inwardly? Because I'm saying that first we have to receive the beauty of Christ in our own hearts before we can share it with somebody else. We have to ask the question, are we willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others? before we are willing to go and preach a gospel that we're not actually living. Romans 10 verse 13 to 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on the name of the Lord? How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody making them pop and bosh? Preaching. Preaching. It's the preaching of the gospel that opened the doors of Zacchaeus' house. It was not the opening of the doors that gave the opportunity for preaching. Let's get that straight. It's the preaching of the gospel that opened the door. It's the bringing of the kingdom to people's life that opens up the door. If the door is opened up on another way, and you're waiting for a time, an opportune time to preach the gospel, chances will be that you'll be led astray. It says, how would they know unless someone is preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? And this is the problem within the church. We don't send members to preach the gospel. 
we invite them to come to a church building to get fed fat. And then we leave that building without being sent. And most of us don't believe that we have the capability or the ability to preach the gospel. But guess what? If you were on your knees here this morning and God dealt with you something personal as a testimony, you've got something to share with somebody. And you are sent to preach the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they sin? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, who has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to see faith arise in your friends' and family's life, preach the gospel. Stop trying to impress them with who you are. Can I burst your bubble? You're not as great as you think you are. And I'm not as great as I think I am. But Jesus, Jesus looked upon a sinner and he saved him. And he loved me. And he took away all the sins of the world. He took it away. And not just that, he invited me into his family. He's adopted me and he calls me son. He's changed my heart. Did we sing that? Changed my name. The world might call you whatever they want to call you, but Jesus calls you by a new name that's written in the heavens. And that's what we should be preaching. Hebrews 10 says, we are not of those that shrink back. But I found myself shrinking back when people are talking about things in this world and I'm standing there and I know that they're thinking wrong and I'm afraid to be boldly speaking into them the gospel of Jesus Christ because I'm scared of what they will think about me. Can you testify to that? I've been there and I've been there a lot of times. Here's the interesting thing that I found about the church of the Lord is that we think that when we do gospel that way, when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives, that we will be losing friends, therefore we don't do it. But the moment we do that, true followers will start following, and they become brothers. And you'll never be alone a day in your life. What are you willing to give? You see, the gospel of the Lord transforms people. And this we also read. We saw there was a lot of things happening. Paul had handkerchiefs. There was a supernatural happening. And I do believe that when we believe in the gospel, the true gospel, Richard, what happens? Supernatural power. In actual fact, Jesus said that. We constantly go to Matthew 28, 19 as our great commission, right? Which it is true. But another version of that great commission to go and preach the gospel is found in Mark 16. Go there. Turn your Bible to Mark 16. And he said to him, verse 15, Go into all the world and preach. Make friends. Preach the gospel to all creation. 
Let everything that has breath praise Lord. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. My name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And they will drink any deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I'm like, okay. It happened to Paul. It happened in the church of Ephesus. It happened amongst the people. It happened all the way that it spread the gospel, spread through Asia. All of these things happened. Wonderful testimonies of God's work and God's power and the supernatural. Because they believed and preached the gospel. Is it possible then that we as churches have moved away from the true gospel and the kingdom message? In a sense we can say that miracles is the evidence that we don't trust in our own programs. You see, but because what we do is like when we see, I see Wayne and he's got an issue, you know, he's struggling with a stronghold, so we want to put him through a program. What's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to actually walk with him, pray with him, preach the gospel to him, love him. That takes time. That takes me dying. That takes me setting my stuff aside so that I can help him. I'm struggling with that. If I say I'm struggling with that, is it? I'm saying this morning that as a leader, I need to lead you better into this. So in a sense, we say that miracles is the evidence that we don't trust in our own programs, in ourselves or the ways of this world. When we see it, where we, we're trusting in God's supernatural provision. It's evidence that we actually believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. One of the things that happen and how we do change our nation or our town or this town is by transforming people. And this is what happened in Ephesus in verse 19 or 18 to 20 of Acts 19. And many of those who were now believers... Why? Because they saw Paul preach every day. They heard his testimony. They saw the testimony of others. They saw the love that they have for one another. They saw the supernatural happening. They saw other people taking them on in the spirit. And they didn't succeed. And what happened? Well, they believed. They confessed their sins. And they divulged their practices. In other words, their way of life changed. Transformation happened. That's what God is busy with us. It's transforming us. And this is not something that happens in our hearts, people. What happens on the inside has an effect on the outside. We will see it. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. Transformation. 
can't do it anymore. Can you imagine what door of persecution that opened up for certain people in their private lives, in their private relationships, in their business walk? I had somebody coming to me saying they can, they can possibly get a new job. He says, but if I take this job, I can't spend time with you guys anymore. And then the next words came out. She says, this is more valuable for me than a new job. And in that moment, I realized that, Lord, maybe we've now moved into a realm of really living for one another. Where it's not about the things of this world and bettering ourselves, but actually to surrender ourselves to see the transformation in people's lives takes time, it takes effort, it takes a dying of self. That's evangelism. If you think of evangelism as something that you can do quickly on a Saturday morning for, for an hour, and then, oh, today was a successful week. No, 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 that's not evangelism. Evangelism is laying down your life for a brother and a sister. Preaching the gospel. Jesus Christ, the hope of all glory. I want to read you one testimony. Mr. Edward Studd, he was in the late 19th century, he was a very wealthy man. And he had a passion for sport and especially for horse racing. So somebody invited this man called Edward Studd to a missionary called D.L. Moody. Crusade meeting that he had. And although he was... Uh, this guy, uh, Stud, was in the high echelons of society and wasn't really interested in this wee guy called Moody. He decided to go. He had heard that um, this Moody guy wasn't really articulate. And he tended to preach the same sermon over and over and over again. But somebody prevailed on him. Somebody invited him. And he went. And God reached out into Edward Studd's life and he changed him that day. Later, a guest who was at Edward Studd's house um, asked Edward Studd's coachman, who was there on a visit, he asked him, I heard Mr. Studd became religious. And the coachman replied and he said, I don't know much about him becoming religious. But I can say that there is the same skin, but there's a new man inside. And that is the best miracle that could ever take place in somebody's life. Edward Studd was the father of C.T. Studd, a missionary to India who gave away his whole inheritance for the furtherance of the gospel. What are you willing to give to preach the gospel? Why did God send you to Montague? Is it for yourself? I hope not. Is it for the kingdom? I do hope so.